Well, we are going to um, look at our next part, part five here in our spiritual warfare, warfare series. And uh, we're going to look at the Shunammite woman and uh, the 12 spies to just get some more, I think, very valuable information here uh, about our battles. And again, I just thank you, Daniel Joseph, for um, all the work that you have done in putting together in, in all of these scriptures and whatnot. And like I said, I've just been studying him a lot and been growing. And so I'm kind of adapting really what he has and sharing that with you here today. Also, guys, I want to just um, say, you know, with everything that's been going on in the world here today, our ministry has certainly changed a lot. And uh, one of the ways that we are trying to be able to keep going is by... Uh, getting um, new ways to get the word out. And uh, since we're not traveling as much, we would really appreciate your support in going to patreon.com. And at patreon.com forward slash creation instruction, uh, you can join and become a partner with us. It will help support this ministry, help me to be able to keep doing what we are doing and uh, there you will be able to get exclusive messages that no one else can hear, uh, DVDs of mine, uh, books, all kinds of things, podcasts. So again, patreon.com forward slash creation instruction. Join and become a patron with us here. Anyway, we're going to move on here to the spiritual warfare. We're going to pick up uh, with kind of what we started last week and talking about picking up the shield of faith. This is uh, an amazing and probably the most important uh, thing that we can talk about here, the most important piece of the armor of God. And I think that will become more clear as we go on here today. Second Kings chapter 4 verse 8 says this, Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem, where there was a notable woman, and she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was, as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband, Look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. So note here, first of all, it says that this is a notable woman. This is a woman who is um, well known for her godliness. And yet what amazes me is we don't even know her name. Yet her deeds speak for her. And that is just a powerful testimony in itself. But here is this woman who sees a prophet, and this prophet, this godly man, she wants to take care of him. She wants to serve the Lord by serving him. Goes on here in verse chapter 4, verse 10. What happens uh, when you accept a prophet? Look what happens here. She says, Please let us make a small upper room on the wall. And let us put a bed for him there, and a table, and a chair, and a lampstand. So it will be, whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. So in other words, this woman has a heart for Israel, has a heart for what Israel loves, a heart for the Israelites, a heart for this prophet, which means she has a heart for God. And basically, she is building a room so that every time the prophet comes, he can stay there with her. Now, I said, what happens when you help a prophet? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting because Matthew 10 verse 41 says this, he who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive 
a prophet's reward. We're going to see that this woman is blessed because of her taking care of this prophet. He who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. This is what you will see at the end of this story where she gets a prophet's reward. You see, Elijah, basically filling in the gaps here, says that this woman is going to have a son. And she says, don't, don't get my hopes up. Uh, don't, don't tell me this. Well, Elijah says, it's going to happen, so you can trust it. You can take it to the bank. This is God's word. Well, later, this woman gets pregnant. She has a boy, and all is going well. And this boy is growing up now. And he's out in the field with his father. And one day he's saying, oh, my head, my head. And he basically goes home. And this child of hers that she was, you know, prayed for and hoped for and warned the prophet, don't get my hopes up, now dies. And that's where we're going to pick up where this story here leaves off. We go to 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 21. It says, And she went up and laid him, this boy, on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him, and went out. So the man of God, Elijah, is not there at this time, but he takes, she takes her son and sets him down upon the bed, even though he is dead. Verse 22, Then she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys, that I may run to the man of God and come back. What amazes me about this is there seems to be an indication that the husband here had no clue that his own son had died. This woman has something up her sleeve. Faith. She is picking up a shield. And she has such faith that she isn't even going to tell her husband that his son is dead. You know, this woman is the opposite of Job's wife that we talked about last week, where we saw Job's wife did nothing but discourage him. This woman doesn't even want to bother her husband. Perhaps he's out in the field working and, and things are very uh, busy at the time and, and their livelihood depends on this. And so as a result, she doesn't even want to dis disrupt and, and, and cause problems there because she has faith that God is going to take care of this so that she's protecting her husband through her faith. Well, we go on in verse 23. It says this, so he said, why are you going to him today? It's neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, it is well. Then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. So as the story continues, again, it seems to indicate that the, the husband has no way uh, of knowing that her, his son is dead. But what's her response? It is well. That is remarkable. Her own son that she had hoped for, that she begged, don't get my hopes up for it, and Elijah said it's going to be so, she still says it is well even after he has died. Well, the story continues in verse 25, and it says, So it was when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to his servant Gehazi, Look, the Shunammite woman, please run now to meet her. And say to her, it is well with you. Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, 
it is well. Again, she keeps saying, it is well. Even though Elijah knows something's not right. The husband, you know, what's wrong? It's not a new moon, it's a Sabbath. Is, is something wrong? She says, no, it's well. And now even Elijah knows something's not right, but she answers, it is well. I believe that she is saying these words because she believes it. These aren't just empty words, but she has in her heart, it's going to be okay. It is going to be okay. You see, this woman here, she has faith that is greater than her fears. And that is what she is doing as she's going to meet the man of God. To her, that's the mediator between her and God. Today we have Yeshua Jesus. And this is the faith that we should have when approaching Jesus in our prayer saying, it is well. My world is falling apart around me. The world everywhere. Maybe it's our home. Maybe it's our food. Maybe it's our career. Maybe it's our children. Maybe it's our health. But we ought to be able to say it is well because we can trust that God is going to take care of us. Maybe our health problem isn't going to go away, but I'll tell you something. He's going to be there taking care of us. He's going to give us comfort. He's going to give us peace. He's going to give us joy. You see, guys, God's ways are not our ways. And we don't tell God what we want. We can offer those petitions up to God, but then we have faith that he is going to answer those prayers in the way that it is best for us. This is the kind of faith that this Shunammite woman has here to say it is well. Verse 27, Now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. So another key part here is this. With all of this going on, even though she's saying it is well, notice that in her soul that she is in deep distress. Boy, if this doesn't put reality to this story, I don't know what does, because the bottom line is this. Here's this woman saying it is well, but yet she's distressed inside. You see, today our spirit and our flesh will battle with one another. And I'm telling you, the flesh will lie to us. The flesh is going to try to get us to think that things are not okay. Maybe our, our stomach is going to be in knots. We'll have butterflies in our stomach, whatever the case might be. But we should be able to still verbalize and profess and confess it is well because I know that God's got this handled. This is what we call exercising our faith. You know, it also kind of shows that this woman isn't crazy. You know, she she's not nuts. She's not needing to be, you know, institutionalized because, oh, it's well, it's well, and denying reality. No, she knows what reality is. She knows that her son is dead. She's distressed by that. She's bothered by it. But yet she still has faith that if God is willing, that her son can be made well. That's an amazing faith right there. And guys, I know that myself, many times I've been in situations where my stomach is in just knots, not knowing the future, not knowing the outcome of what's going on, but yet trusting God is going to handle it. To, to live out that faith, even though my flesh wars, I know the truth in my mind, in my spirit.
And you see, this is why Romans says that the, the, the mind battles with the body. The spirit battles with the body. He says, it's, the, the members of my body wage war against the law of my mind. Why? Because, you see, our body is simply a tent. It's the physical, it's the natural that our spirit lives in. The body is corruptible. The body is not perfect. The body is going to die. It's like Jesus said in the parable that the seed has to die before it can rise new. This is what's going to have to happen to our bodies. This is why when the Lord comes back, if we do not die yet, that we get new bodies because these are corruptible, these are mortal, and what is mortal must become and inherit immortality. And so until that happens, yes, this flesh, it might be in knots, it might be in deep distress, but our spirit can know and confess the truth that Jesus is Lord and that he has our best intentions or our best in his intentions. Well, the story continues here in verse 28. So she said, did I ask a son, did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, don't deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, Get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him, but lay my staff on the face of the child. It doesn't seem, at least here in the scriptures, that she gave him many details, but it was enough for him to know something is wrong with this son. You know, James, we looked at that verse before in earlier weeks, that it says, if any of you are sick, go to the elders and have them pray and lay hands on you. Okay, This is the prayer of faith, and this, in essence, is what is going on here. But it seems to be even bigger than that. Because this woman, this mother, has moved to the front line in the battle. How? By taking her shield, lifting it up. Her shield of faith. Believing that God can, if he is willing, heal her son. Verse 34 continues, He went up and he lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And he stretched him out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. He returned and walked back and forth in the house, and again went up and stretched himself out on him. Then the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. Verse 36, he called Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite woman. So he called her. And when she came in to him, he said, Pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. You see, she received a prophet's reward because she welcomed a prophet. She welcomed a righteous man. Blessings were poured out on her, and not just her, her entire household, her husband, who didn't even know that his own son had died. She protected him as well by acting in faith, by picking up and using her shield. That is the power we have in faith. And guys, while our world is falling apart more than ever, we need to do that. You know, I've got people asking me, should we store up food in this the, the, the chaos that's going on? What should we do? And my answer is this. Yes, it's wise to do those things, but if you think your faith is in your storage food or your, your guns and your ammo, you're wrong. 
Our faith, our shield has nothing to do with us. It is all trusting that God has this handled. And if you can truly confess and believe that, I'm telling you, you will find peace. You will find joy. Run to the word of God. Run to his promises. Claim them. That's what you need to do. First John chapter five, verse four shows us what gives us victory for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. You got problems in the world right now. You better find out what's born of God. What's born of God? He says, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. You see, our faith is born of God. It comes from him. It is a gift from him. Verse five goes, who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes, that's faith, that Jesus is the son of God. Do you want to be an overcomer through the battles? Do you want to be an overcomer through the persecution that may lie ahead? Believe. Believe that God is there for you. Have faith. Know that he may send angels to comfort you. He may send ravens to feed you. He may send an early death to deliver you. I don't know what he's going to do, but I know this. I have faith that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You just need to believe that. I'm going to take you to the book of Numbers for another story here that I think is going to illustrate this even in, in a deeper, greater way. Let's look at Numbers chapter 13, verse 1. And what we see here is that the spies are being sent out into the promised land because they've been delivered from Egypt and they're about to go into the promised land. But before they do, God has them go in to check it out. Why? Well, maybe it was because he was testing them to see will they have faith or not. And so this is what it says. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel from each tribe of their fathers. You shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them, men who were heads of the children of Israel. In other words, the leaders of the tribes. The, here's what I find interesting. You know, throughout history, you can have individuals in, in the, the, the kingdom of Judah or the kingdom of Israel. You'd have individuals that were serving the Lord, but if the king, the leader, was not following God, everybody suffered. You see, God has a hierarchy uh, of basically a system in which ways are supposed to be set up. A pastor is to be head of the church. A husband is to be head of the, the, the house. Christ is the head of all. And that hierarchy is important. And God is going to hold those leaders responsible. So here the leaders are being sent out into the promised land. And what you're about to see is a war. A spiritual war. Verse 25, jumping ahead, it says this. They returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back the word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. So they, they've spied out the land. They're coming back with all these huge things of grapes and everything because the land is exactly like God had promised, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they're bringing this word back, showing them the fruit, showing them the fruit of God's promises ultimately. 
But as we continue in the story, look what happens. Verse 27, Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Look at it. It's amazing, basically. Verse 28, Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Now, the most scary thing that they just pointed out here is the sons of Anak were there. Because these were the giants. Like I said, as God had promised, they're saying, yes, it is indeed what God said it is. But verse 28 shows that they saw other things other than the great fruit, the promises. They saw the reality of the world around them. They saw giants. Let me ask you this, and I think this is one of the most important points, so, so focus here for a moment. What do you think the Israelites were expecting to see when they went into the promised land? What do you think that they thought they would see? An empty land? A land that was flowing with milk and honey that nobody had lived in? That it would be easy for them to get into? Perhaps they thought that they'd see a bunch of old fogies, a bunch of uh, people that might even say, Oh, hey, Israelites, come on in, welcome. What did they think? Maybe they didn't think. But let me tell you something. What a beautiful illustration of Christianity today. How many people today are expecting to be able to, to receive the promises that God has given them, the heavenly home that He has promised? without war. Just to be welcoming. Hey, it's all right. Jesus came. He died for you. It's going to be an easy thing. All you got to do is just wait out your time. Because that is not the message of Scripture. That is not what Jesus said. He didn't come to bring peace. He came to bring a sword. He said, the world is going to hate you because they hated me first. You, I'm telling you, listen, right now, you are not going to get into heaven without war, without trials. And this is the picture that we see in this story. Don't think that you're just going to waltz into heaven and everything is going to be okay because that is a lie of the ten spies. You see, the ten spies, they didn't want to go in. Two did, Caleb and Joshua. They said, hey, we can do this. But the lie of the ten spies was this. It's too difficult. We can't do this. You see, we need to expect war to get into our promised land of heaven. It is going to be hard work. And I'm telling you, if you're focused more on the pain, the suffering, the trials of this world, the hard work, you will fall. You need to focus on the promises, the victory. Guys, I, there's trying times coming, persecution of Christians. There are all kinds of things about to come upon this world. Will you have the faith of Caleb and Joshua? That there are giants that lie ahead of you, but God has made promises. And therefore, we can 
Trust them. Let's go see how uh, Caleb and Joshua respond. We see what the, the ten tribes here, or the ten uh, leaders do. These ten leaders say, we can't do it. There are giants. It's too difficult. But in verse 30, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. You see, they were focused on the victory. They were focused on picking up the shield of faith that we talked about last week. Guys, this is how you will survive. Pick up the shield of faith. As you know, before you get into the promised land, there are going, there's going to be a war. But you can win with the shield of faith, trusting God to fight the battle for you. But you have to have faith. You can't let the lies of those ten other leaders tell you, no, it's too hard, there's persecution coming, that's going to be too difficult, you'll never be able to make it through that. There could be, you know, you might not have food, you can't buy or sell without the mark of the beast. You're going to have to take the mark because it's going to be too difficult. Wrong. Those are the lies of the ten spies. Don't believe it. Do not believe it. Let's see how the other ten spies responded. Verse 31. The men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. They gave the children of Israel a bad report of the, uh, of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. See, you might as well just throw up your hands. The government is too powerful. They're going to shut down churches. This, this, we're, we're doomed. Does that sound like your faith today? The faith of these ten spies, does that sound like the faith that you have as we move into a dark chapter of history from a worldly perspective? Or are you going to have the faith of Caleb and Joshua who say, we can do this as we enter into a bright part of history. Folks, the Lord is coming back soon. Is there any greater message? Is there anything greater to have faith in? Is there greater victory to have our eyes focused upon? I tell you, no. There is no greater light no greater victory, no greater thing to focus on, and no greater faith to be lifting up. Verse 33 continues, There we saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. So we were in their sight. In other words, they're so huge that we look like grasshoppers. Isn't it interesting that with Stan's between them and their promised land is the Nephilim, the descendants of Anak. We see these guys introduced way back in Genesis 6-4, the results, these evil spirits that came from the mixing of the flesh and angels. The offspring, this unholy, ungodly union that created these giants these evil spirits. And what was their goal, as we've talked about in previous weeks? To cause fear. To create us, uh, to create doubt in, in our hearts and our minds. To cower 
to keep us from wanting to battle, to go to war, to enter into the promised land, to keep us from entering that promised land with joy and faith, but rather to try and, you know, waltz in in denial. No, you're not going to waltz in, folks. The rubber is about to meet the road. And our power is going to be in our faith, the faith of Caleb and Joshua. This is the faith that God has given us. Guys, we should enter into these next few periods of history with joy, faith, comfort, and praise. Well, how do the people respond? Numbers chapter 14, verse 1 says, So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. Guys, when we don't stand in faith, what happens? Distress, fear, it consumes us. This is what happened. You see, rather than listening and standing with Caleb and Joshua in joy, comfort, and faith, they cowered with the other ten spies. And they cry and they weep all night long in distress, their stomachs in knots, hopelessness crept in. The evil spirits crept in to create fear. Verse 2 says, And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Oh, this is so sad. But I have to say, I've seen many a so-called Christian do this very thing. They look at the giants of this world, the idea of persecution, all of these things that, that lie ahead, and you know what they do? They say, I'd rather go back to the world. Maybe if I sell out to the world, I won't have to face these things. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Egypt is a picture of the world, folks. You see, God could deliver the Israelites out of Egypt, but He just didn't get Egypt out of the people. Likewise, Jesus has delivered us from this world. But you know what? He's not going to take the world out of us. That's your job. That's your job to stand up in the faith that He has given you. And when you do that, then... He starts to remove the world from you. Don't go back. Don't go back to the sins. Don't go back to the things that this world has to offer. Don't go back to your own strength. You see, they thought, I can't go against these giants with his own strength, and so my own strength, I'd rather go back to the world. Lay down your strength and pick up your shield of faith. Trust God. Let Him fight your battle. You see... It goes on here. Let me just read verse 4 here. So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Remember with Job last week, we talked about Job, how Satan wanted him to curse God. In verse 3, basically that's what they're doing here. 
They're cursing God by rejecting Him and His promises. No, we don't believe God. We don't believe that He can take us into the promised land. That's rejecting His promises. That's rejecting God. And that, the very thing that Satan wanted to do to Job, these evil spirits have gotten the Israelites to do as well. If they want to go back to Egypt, they'll sell their soul for the treasures of this world. I'm reminded of that song. I don't want to lose, you know, uh, I don't want to gain the whole world and yet lose my soul. You know, always, the lesson here, always be careful who you allow to speak into your life. Because our words are powerful and we have in our mouth the power of life, the power of death lies in the tongue. And these ten spies had lies and death that came from their tongue, and it was dangerous. Do not underestimate the power of Satan's lies, Satan's propaganda. And this is why truth matters. People ask me, why do you keep the festivals? Why do you do these things? Because truth matters. I know what the Bible says. I know what God told me to do. So guess what? I'm going to do that, not what the world has taught me. That's why, because truth matters. And when we speak truth, like Caleb and Joshua did here, and speak and says, yes, there are giants, but guess what? God has made promises, and God never fails on a promise. We can do this. Stop living in the flesh, live in the spirit. That's truth. And you know what? It causes people to stand. Those are the kind of people I want to walk with. Those are the kind of people I want standing next to me. And those are the kind of people I'm going to go to battle with. But these spies, they speak lies. These spies speak death. These are the people who are telling you, oh boy, it's going to be bad. Oh no, what are we going to do? And they don't ever give you the encouragement and the hope of Jesus Christ. We need to stand with people who have their shield of faith. Tell you what, if I'm sick, I want to go to people who believe God heals. Now, we've talked about this before in other studies. You see, I know God heals, but I'm not talking this word of faith thing that God heals just because I command Him to. Sometimes God's answer to my prayer is no, but I trust, still, I have faith that in the answer of not being healed, it's for my own benefit. And therefore, I will have peace and comfort in not being healed. Just as much peace and comfort as I would have being healed. But I want to stand with somebody who says, I know God can heal. And we are going to petition Him to have you be healed. But if not that you will still have peace and joy and that this trial that you're going through is going to maybe bring others to faith, but that you will be able to see the good that God has for you through it. But God does heal. I don't want to have people praying for me who says, yeah, I'll pray for you, and they never do. I don't want people praying for me who are going to say, yeah, I'll pray for you, and thinking this is never going to happen. No, stand with people who have the shield of faith.
Let me take you to Deuteronomy 20, verse 8, to kind of illustrate this a little more. It says here, The officer shall speak further to the people and say, What man is there who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return to his house, lest the heart of his brethren faint like his heart. Basically, this is saying that when the Israelites would go to war, they were the, the leaders, the, the commanders of the army, were to say, All right, if any of you people out here are afraid to go to battle, go home. You know why? Because when a man is fearful in battle, it's contagious. It's like a disease. You have to take him out of the battle because he's going to sow that seed of fear and discouragement among all the other soldiers. You see, it's, it's the power of death coming from their tongues. Like I said, these people who are not afraid, who say, hey, I don't know how this is going to happen, but I trust God's going to do it somehow. We're going to battle, and we're trusting in Him. Those are the people who have the shield of faith that I want to stand with, that I want to fight with, that I want to go through this crazy world with. Proverbs agrees with this. Look what it says here in chapter 12, verse 26. The righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. Folks, choose your friends wisely. Choose those who you choose, uh, choose to have around you in, in your social company. Make sure they're people who use the, the shield of faith. This is so important because as iron sharpens iron, so when one man sharpens another, that we need one another to stand as a body of Christ to build each other up. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, 11, I believe it is, it says this, that bad company corrupts good character. Isn't it something that our children, you, you often hear things like this, boy, you know that little Johnny, he sure is a bad apple. When I was a teacher, I would often see that. We would get a bad apple coming into our school, and all of a sudden, out of a class of 25 kids, you'd have about eight or nine kids that started doing things that they would never do before because they were being led astray by an unrighteous person. Bad company does corrupt good character. I remember when I was in college, I had a suite mate, and I was one of four that were in this suite. And the other three would cuss and swear all the time. And I remember going home, and all of a sudden, uh, something would happen, and whoop, out would come a swear word from my mouth. And I'm like, where did that come from? Because that was not me. That was not something I did, but being around it all the time, it just came out. You see, we need to choose our friends wisely. Now, in that case, I didn't have a choice. But our children, we need to protect them. We need to keep them from, from having these kinds of relationships because I'm telling you, if it's hard for an adult to do it, how much harder for a child? Let's go back to our story here. Numbers 14, verse 6, Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. They spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. Notice here, they tear their clothes. Guys, we need to repent. All of you who have that shield of faith right now, we need to be getting down on our knees and praying for the church because 
I'm telling you that the people in the church today have compromised. The congregation out there who have believed the lies of this world, we need to repent and cry out to God and say, Lord, our sins have piled up to the heavens. Confess our sins. It continues here in verse 8, If the Lord delights in us, then He will bring us into the land and give it to us a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are, our, they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Guys, such a simple word, such a small word right there at the beginning of verse 8. If. If the Lord delights in us. Guys, that is one of the most important theological statements that can be made here in this verse. There is an if for us as believers. If we are not walking in obedience to God, if we are rebelling against the voice of God, His law, His word, I'm telling you something, you are not pleasing to God in Christ Jesus. If you are walking consistently, willfully in disobedience, I don't believe you truly know who Jesus Christ is. You have believed a lie. And that is probably why you are living in fear right now of what's coming upon this world, because you have no faith. You don't have your shield. You haven't been using your helmet. Uh, you don't you use truth. You know, Matthew 10, he said, Do not fear those who kill the body, but fear those who destroy both body and soul in hell. Here we see Joshua and Caleb lifting up their shield of faith because in their minds, they've already got the war won. That's their mentality. Think about it. They're there. They saw the same giants. They saw the same battle. They saw the same, you know, war that they had to go fight. And what do they say? Listen, they're giants, but their protection has been taken away. We've got protection. The Lord is with us. Don't be afraid. I'm telling you, this is what you need to commit to your mind. That, listen, the world is falling apart, but guess what? Go read Psalm 37. God laughs at the wicked because He knows their outcome. The wicked, they, they think that they've got this. They think that they're winning. No, they're not. Their protection is going to leave them. And it's going to be on those in whom the Lord delights. Those who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and who are walking in obedience with Him. I'm not saying they're perfect, but they have a desire to be perfect. Commit this verse to memory. Because guys, I think this verse right here is something that you need to have in the trials we're about to go through. If the Lord delights in us, then He will bring us into the land and give it to us. He will get you into the promised land of heaven. A land which flows with milk and honey. But only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land. Don't rebel. What's it mean to rebel? Don't be disobedient. Don't fear the people. Don't be so scared and, and listen to the lies of the spies. 
He says, because their protection's gone in God, the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. I want to show you here as we're, we're nearing our end. I want to show you a Chinese man here who wrote a book called The Art of War centuries ago. And he said this, Victorious warriors win first and then go to war, while defeated warriors go to war first and then seek to win. If you take this ancient Chinese proverb, this ancient Chinese secret for the older people, this is wisdom when you apply it biblically into our faith. You see, we win in our heart. We win in our mind before we even go to battle. That's the attitude you have to have. Hear this. Before the battle hits, before the persecution might come, before the war, you have to have in your mind already, we've got this. God promised. I know what's happening. So, remember, there is no taking the land without going to war first. Can't happen. You are not going to see the promised land of heaven without going through war first. Not everybody may see all of what Revelation talks about, but this life, the whole world that we go through, our life, those who have already passed, went through the war of this life, fighting the devil throughout their day-to-day -day life, some of us are going to see greater battles than others, though. Don't go into war without taking with you this mindset, the mindset of Caleb and Joshua. Matthew eleven twelve, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And the violent take it by force. Guys, we're in a battle. Gear up. We need to gear up especially above all you take up, as Ephesians 6 says, the shield of faith. Faith that in your mind you already know the outcome. Oh, that you would set this into your heart and minds. Oh, that you would share this with the world. Oh, that you would get this message out to the world. Douglas MacArthur, five-star general, he said this, it is fatal to enter a war without the will to win it. Guys, I'm telling you, it is fatal to enter the faith of Yeshua without the will to fight and win the battle as well. This is what he said. Consider the cost before you build a house. Consider the cost of Christianity before you say, yeah, sign me up for that. I want Jesus because I'm telling you something. There's going to be war and you need to have the right mindset. I'm going to close with this verse here. 2 Samuel 22, verse 31. As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in Him. I love that. His way is perfect. It's not your way. You may not understand it, but it's perfect and you can trust that. The word of the Lord is proven throughout all of history. And He is a shield to all who trust in Him. He is your shield. That's faith. Trust is faith. You ever wonder why Paul applied faith to the shield? Because it comes from the Tanakh, from the Old Testament right here. Jesus is a shield 
God is a shield to all who have faith in Him. Guys, thank you so much. Commit that to memory. And again, if you would, to try and help support us in these times when, when things are, are falling apart and we're not able to go out and travel and, and do what we normally do, I'm, I'm trusting in God to take care of us. And maybe one of those ways might be through you going to Patreon and subscribing to hear more of what we have to offer here for you. Patreon, Patreon.com forward slash creation instruction. God bless.